You're listening to the world's smartest podcast network. When I go to Sacramento, I will pump up Sacramento. Sacramento. Some say the news is fake. Others say it's real. These two don't have the time to check. Instead, Turner Sparks and Michael Ira Kaplan turn to comics stationed around the globe to be their eyewitness reporters so that you can know what's really going on. This is Lost in America. All right, everybody, welcome to Lost in America, episode 228. My name's Turner Sparks. And I am Che Kaplan. You can find me at Turner Sparks. On Instagram at turnersparks.com. You can find Kaplan at Cap in America on all social media platforms. This podcast, Lost in America Pod.com, at Lost in America Pod on all social media. Kaplan, on the podcast today, we have uh, Roseanne Lake back, our friend, the journalist, the writer for The Economist magazine and other publications, uh, I believe. I'm not sure. We'll find out. But um, we're talking about Cuba today, Kaplan. Normally we have on comedians. We're breaking the mold this week because we couldn't find any comedians, any Cuban American comedians who knew anything about Cuba. And if you are one of those comedians and you're listening to this, then email, let us know. Cause we've been looking for you for months. We have a tough interview process. People don't know this. We don't just let any comedian on here. No, we ask you basic. It's like a civil cert, like the exam they give when you become a citizen. We ask you basic questions about your country to see if you know anything. We said, all hey, all the- what do you know about the president? And they said, Castro. We said, no, Canal. And they said, who? And we said, who? you're off the show. <laughs> exactly. So, so, no- so we have, but anyway, we're, it's, we have a better option. We have Roseanne. She's been on our show before. She's, she's great. Uh, she's also an expert in this field. So we said, why not have an expert as opposed to uh, just some guy who doesn't know anything. And then we'll get back to comedians <laughs> next week. But Kaplan, uh, if people are digging this show, the, the Des Bishop episode last week, the R- Ari Shafir the week before, everything before that, if you yeah. want to support this show, go to patreon.com slash lost in America for $5 a month. Kaplan and I give you this show, which everybody gets, plus three extra shows a week. A week, Kaplan. Most people, they can't do one extra a week. We do three. No, we. And this is my number one source of income at the moment. Is this Patreon page? So we True. need you. I need people because I'm gonna. I'm running for city council. I'm talking about, and I'm gonna make one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year once I get elected. Yeah, right? but I need. Yeah, that's some, the whole reason why you're running. That's why I'm running. I have no interest in. I don't care about my neighborhood at all. No. Uh, this is. <laughs> you could delete that out. No, but and we talk about that on the Patreon show. Uh, we talk about that. We talk about your life. You got the shots. You're getting back to life in New York, right? You're going to become a comedian again, doing spots. Become a comedian. Excuse me. I've been a comedian <laughs> in for person. A decade. In person comedian again. May gonna- 5th, I'm hosting a, a, a show at the Friars Club every other Wednesday. Guess, I, you know what, Kaplan? The show's sold out. Guess who's I checked the list of who's on there. I didn't see your name anywhere. I know you're a member of the Friars Club. You didn't get tickets to come to my I- show. I think um, <laughs> I'm very go offended, but it's, it's too out? late. It's already oh, no. sold out. Too late for you. So how about? Oh that? well, that's exciting. Big the big return. They're gonna the, the big the big comeback. Keep talking. <laughs> no, but back to Patreon for a second. I wanted to say we also have merchandise, right? Yes, we we have merchandise. We have we're we're number one in Armenia. Um, we have these we, we have these mugs. We have shirts. We're, we're just like Che Guevara. We make shirts with our pictures of them, um, and we sell them. 
Yes. So go buy our shirts, support the <laughs> did, pod. Did Che Guevara, was he the one who printed all those shirts? He printed the whole it. point of the Cuban revolution, much like the whole point of me running for city council was to sell yeah. t-shirts. Merch. Merch. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we are, we're very, that's why this is going to be a great episode. We're kindred spirits. So yeah, go. <laughs> you, me, you, and Chavez, three yeah. peas in a pod. <laughs> three peas in the pod. I'm Che, sorry. Che, Che, whatever you say. That's Spanish, I'm sure. Now you, so we can, you can support the pod many ways what I'm trying to say. You can support us on Patreon. You can support us by buying merch. You could do both. $5 a month. We get three episodes and, uh. Three yeah. episodes a week in Kaplan. Yep. You said it's your entire income. I got bad news for you. Mm. We only make currently. I think we have three hundred and fifty-one dollars a month in Patreon subscribers. So, so what's that a week? Let's. I don't know how much down. your rent costs <laughs> for your family of four, <laughs> but uh, we need a couple more subscribers. So come yeah. on, people, help us out. Stop being jerks. All right, now this week, uh, as we said earlier, we have uh, we're talking about Cuba. Now, Cuba yeah. has a new. Um, well, it's a new leader. I thought it was a new president, and I looked it up. Apparently, this guy became president. So the Castro family, who we all know and love, they're out. Um, <laughs> Delete two, that in Miami. <laughs> two years ago, uh, no, 2018 or maybe 19. Some reports say 18. Some reports say 19. This guy, um, Canel, Miguel Diaz Canel. He's a hyphenated yeah. last name, I guess. Uh, maybe his parents, you know, didn't want, they each wanted to keep their name. He's so, very progressive parents. Yeah. So <laughs> Miguel Diaz Canel became president in 2018 or 19. We'll find out when. Yeah. And then but, he but was just the, this week. He, became he was the, the first the president party. since the 1970s who was not a Castro. Apparently they had some other guy for a few, I don't know, a year or something. But, and then, and then he just this week became leader of the Communist Party. And I know from my 12 years living in China, that's the real one. That's the one that yeah. matters. Head of the Communist Party. The Castros have officially either retired or died, depending upon which one you're talking about. And now there's no Castro uh, leading, leading Cuba. And I haven't read this anywhere in the news besides us looking for the we, facts this week. It's not a big news item in, Amer in the United States. I don't know why. Because we're on know? top of breaking news. No, you said there was a leader in the 70s who wasn't a Castro. You don't know his name. I don't know his name. Nobody knows his name. Because when you're just the president of that country, you're not in charge, I don't think. It's the head of the party, like you just said. Okay. So this is, this is big. It's, it's big because, you know, every time there's like a dictator, a famous dictator, you got your Castros, you got your Saddam Husseins, your Gaddafi. Uh, you go down the list. The big three. I, I used to say like Arafat, Castro. There was these certain guys I thought would never die. Saddam Hussein, Bin Laden. They, they just live forever, right? And they're all yes. died off. In these countries, when there's, you never know who, you never remember the next guy. Like it's tough. It's big shoes to fill. To, it's like a lead in. You know, it's tough to. What so do we you got, know about this guy? I, I mean, I, I know that he seems like a, 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 a good party man who's like gonna, you know, who, who seems like a, a safe choice. You know, okay. he's not a big revolutionary, but he's not going to break away. He's not. So that's my my gut tells me he's not going to make any big moves. He's going to be like, a, I'm just going to carry on and try not to get killed. And not a big revolutionary. Uh, Maybe he, not the young best man pick in this for a man who's the leader of the revolution. Now. Well, no, I meant of reverse revolution. Like he's not not to strike me as someone who's bringing about democracy. Uh, you know, he's going right. to he's going to try to lead for another 30 years or so is my gut. Until that's he, your gut. Okay, that's my gut sounds telling. good. Now but, let's get to the expert, uh, Roseanne. Um, as we are, we already gave you an introduction. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming back. How how do we do? Welcome back. What's the <laughs> It's good to be back. My face hurts because I was laughing about the thought of you guys being the next Chicharada with all your merchandising. It's absolutely true though. His face is on everything. Uh, they've made him a lot of money for a very communist country. You know, in Cuba as well. Is he on everything or only here in the United yeah, States? Yeah, for tourists. Yeah, he's all over yeah. merch. 
Mm-hmm. And he's all over signs, right? Like there's a building with a with sort of a silhouette of, of his face on Plaza Revolución. And I mean, he's he's on it for merch purposes and also for, you know, propaganda purposes. And he can never be canceled for any of his any of his problematic statements in the past or anything. No, no, no. He's yeah, no, he's uncancelable, I would think. Wow. Yeah, he's a very sign of like uh liberalism in the United States, but yet I he was very anti- homosexuals was he not i think he like, killed a bunch of <laughs> yeah that sounds about right yeah, yeah. but was... <laughs> no one remembers it's long it was he didn't so tweet about them in a negative way though so it's, no, it's, he it's true. true i know a lot of women who who were like in love with him um they just thought he was such a like it was just you know like this idea of a young che there's this very romantic side like you know yeah, there, yeah that's why re- one of the reasons revolutions happen is because women dig revolutionaries they so. do, exactly <laughs> they need to get chicks somehow it's yeah. a way to get over chicks. a country is romantic it's a great way to impress a girl Ultimately. You, show, you show some leadership. You get lost in the Sierra Nevada. You know, you fight a couple <laughs> wars. You, you know, trudge through a couple of marshes. Yeah, and he was a doctor, magic. right? So, Kevin, was your parents doctor. would like him. Oh, they were, he's a doctor. <laughs> it would be t- what you've got a Patreon page. You make how much a week? Three hundred fifty-two dollars a week a month. You could be a doctor. You could do a revolution. You're <laughs> come on. Yeah. So, how did we do on um, Miguel Diaz Canel? And am I pronouncing Canel correctly? Yeah, Canel. Yeah, the one, the most Canel? important thing you forgot about his hyphenated last name is that there's another last name. So it's oh. Miguel Diaz Canel Bermudez because he looks really good in shorts. You see, you thought I, you thought I wasn't a comedian. Uh, no, that's that's. I mean, they've kind of dropped his 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 other last name at this point because everybody knows who he is. But yeah, Miguel Diaz Canel. Um, he's been kicking around since 2018. That's the correct answer. You said 2018, and then you weren't sure for 2018. 2018. That's when he became president. Um, and it was a big deal, and it wasn't a big deal. Kind of like now that he's become first secretary of the Communist Party because you know there is still a Castro kicking around. He's no longer the first secretary of the Communist Party, which is, you know, the most powerful officially position on the island. Um, so he's now, you know, moved into he's got some pretty big shoes to fill, but Raul's still alive. And, you know, yeah. we all know that Deng Xiaoping wasn't in power when he called the troops onto Tiananmen. So if something big were to happen, I'm pretty sure Raul, you know, would have precedence over whatever call was made. And he said it himself. I mean, my favorite headline since this party finished was I, I've written it down for you here. El partido debe ser la fuerza que revoluciona la revolución. So the party must be the revolutionary force that revolutionizes the revolution. To give you an idea of, of, you know, the amount of change that we can expect. to see. I was always taught you can't define a word using the word. Yeah, yeah, well, in Cuba you can. In Cuba yeah, you can. They got so. a different education system there, I've heard. So oh, Raul, yeah. the buck still stops with Raul as long as his health's okay. He's still. I mean, he's 90 years old. Yeah. And I was reading some reports saying that, you know, he may have cancer, uh, which is obviously unfortunate, right? Because he's not, I think a lot of people tend to put Raul and Fidel in the same bucket. And what is not so funny about all of this, but is worth, you know, keeping in mind is that uh, this stuff needs to be interpreted with nuance, right? Raul was not Fidel, and that was a good thing. I mean, Fidel did some terrible things, and he also did some good things. He, I think he had good intentions. They were just very, very, very misguided at many, many times. And the biggest mistake he did was rely on that charisma to get charity from everywhere in the world. So the Soviet Union. Venezuela. And what happens when you're getting charity? Well, things are good when they're good, you know, when the Soviet Union still exists, but when it falls, 
your source of income just depletes overnight, right? You can't live off of charity. You need to have your own industry at home. You need to have exports. You need access to foreign currency. That was the biggest mistake of the revolution. And it's one that continues to plague Cuba, you know, 60 years later. That's that's the biggest fault. I, I don't think the intentions were you know, were, were bad. They were just very misguided. And Raul, to his credit, was much more of a reformer. I think he was limited in terms of what he could reform by the other guys in the Politburo, right? Because, you know, you have the, the big cheese, you've got the head of the Communist Party, but then you've got the Politburo. And like you have in China, those people also have a lot of influence. And I would even, I would say, and I can say this with certainty, that a lot of the members of the Politburo are actually guys who were more hardcore than Raul. So these are guys who fought in the revolution as well. They're in their 70s, their 80s, and their 90s. They're still kicking. They're kind of like the ghost of Fidel, right? Like sometimes, you know, you talk to people who spent a long time working in Cuba or are in Cuba, and, and they say, you know, it's almost like we feel his presence. It's like we're looking over our shoulder. Like, what would Fidel think? And so there's an element of that. But then there's also like, these guys are still there. They fought that revolution. And they have, you know, ideas and principles that they just don't want to give up on. Someone recently described, I said, you know, who runs Cuba? In your view, this is someone who spent a really long time um, in Cuba as a, as a Western diplomat, long time, had a lot of, you know, very candid conversations with Fidel. They were kind of buddies in a way. And these people to me are like unicorns, right? Because it's like, oh my God, you got to hang out with Fidel. Like this is, this is, this is huge, right? Um, imagine the bumper sticker. But, uh, <laughs> you know, like he said, he said to me, and I think this is one of the most effective ways I've ever heard the leadership described. He's like, it's like a sandbox. And all of a sudden, you know, I imagine these Cuban, uh, you know, former revolutionaries with their, you know, green army suits and all their stars sitting in a sandbox with pails, you know. And he's like, everybody agrees at this point that you need to build a castle. They just can't decide how big it's going to be, what it's going to look like. like and, and sometimes, you know, when they can't disagree when they can't agree on this stuff they throw sand at each other and i think that's perfect like you know you have a communist party and you have a government that has younger people who weren't there and they said i don't know who didn't fight the revolution and they're like come on guys this is getting a little bit ridiculous like there's only so much revolutionizing of this revolution that we can do we need to reform we need to sort of let the horse go so as they say in spanish and 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 reform but then you have the old guys who are like, no, what if we did it this way? And then you end up with this inertia, right? That means that nothing happens. And that has been Cuba's problem for a really long time. And I think Raul has tried, you know, within, within certain limitations to try to push things along. But he's got that old guard sort of looking over his shoulder, just like Diaz-Canel, Mr. Bermuda's will. You know, he he will have that presence. And that's not a very funny explanation of it, but that's <laughs> that's just kind of how it's set up. No, this is good. That's exactly what we're looking for. So what, um, how did Diaz-Canel get picked? Yeah, over these other guys, I mean. Yeah, well, that's a good question. I mean, he it seems like he was kind of groomed and picked early on, right? When you're trying to replace yourself in that kind of position, and when you're looking for someone to replace someone as charismatic as Fidel, you you don't want someone who's going to overshadow the Castro legacy, right? You want kind of someone kind of neutral, who is a pencil pushing bureaucrat, who you know is going to be, you know, very deferent and, and accept sort of the, the rule of the party. And I think they pegged him as somebody who would do that who, you know, had a, he was cool in that he like took notes on an iPad, 
which like nobody did. <laughs> so there, you know, like, you've no, got an Apple pencil, one of those things. No, not not quite. But it was just like, whoa, an iPad. Like we still have three G, and this guy has, you know, and I the island Steve barely Jobs had 3G would be so proud. Yeah. He would, he would. I, really, could, I mean, capitalism at its finest, right yeah. there. Like Apple <laughs> products. Although he didn't in, like taking notes, yeah. <laughs> they've infiltrated the party, the highest realms of the party. So I think it was that, you know, he had this edge. He was younger. He was in his late fifties. Ooh, you know, we got a young one and, (laughs) and he was just very good at what he had done. You know, not, not, not a controversial guy. Just, he was a pencil pusher, a bureaucrat. And he had done good work in his home province of Santa Clara. Like he had a solid record. And I I think they just said, you, you know, we can count on you to continue to push forward the goals of the revolution um, and, and, and reforms. I think they agreed. Like I I even want to give credit to the old guys in their seventies, eighties and 90s like even they know kind of like this thing you know it's going to go bust if you don't push things forward and so he was the neutral sort of safe choice yeah, um, you need a pencil pusher to fix things up without getting he doesn't give like the four-day speeches like fidel right he's not like, no which I, you know to be honest those four-day speeches if you go through some of those transcripts like they're full of some gems fidel was he was he's a, a blowhard he was i've old, seen one of them he was he was hardcore and he yeah. just had crazy ideas like he just he he was like the ultimate um superlative right like he just wanted <laughs> cuba to be the best at everything it was like we you know we are a caribbean nation and most of the time cows don't really survive here because it's really hot and it's not a you know climate that's very conducive to big healthy cows but like we hold the world record for the cow that has produced the most milk in the entire world like they do <laughs> right and like this was fidel Yes, he loved dairy and he was obsessed with ice cream and butter and cheese. And, you know, after the fall of the Soviet Union, these things you have to choose. Like, are you going to have butter or are you going to have ice cream or are you going to have cheese? And he chose ice cream. And ice you cream. needed to up the milk production. And oh. he's he a child. Like, that's what my kids would pick. <laughs> Well, no, practical. The the official explanation is that it's like highly caloric, right? So when, you know, their food shortages, something that has a lot of calories and a lot of sugar is going to help keep people ticking, right? But ultimately, it was really just that Fidel liked milkshakes and he wanted to have them. (laughs) This is true. Like he had them, he had them every day. I think it was the former Hilton that, you know, his, that his government stole from the US. Uh, He would go and he would have a milkshake every day. And the CIA actually tried to kill him. Um, through oh, one yeah. of his milkshakes. That was like yeah, that, yeah. that was like a famous thing back in the Operation was like, Mr. Softy. Milkshake, yeah. Poison. Yeah, there were lots of ways they tried to kill him. It was like the fell. Godfather three, the point is cannoli. It was it was a lame way to kill someone, but <laughs> well it didn't work. Apparently, yeah. whatever poison they were gonna use got frozen into the wall of the freezer. And when they tried to get it out, because it was yeah, frozen to the wall of the freezer, when they tried to get it out, it cracked, and so they couldn't get into his drink and into his milkshake, and it was just like a failed, like so many many others right but um yeah he was he really was a character i mean as from a purely journalistic perspective as far as like color and you know crazy quotes like he'd be way more interesting than diaz canel who kind of just regurgitates you know what the older guys say but he is the safe choice so is what are what civil reforms like what might because i did see that in 2018 they wrote a new constitution Yep. They was did. that Diaz Canal's kind of like first thing when he came in as president? No, I mean anything that's like new in Cuba is usually twenty years old. It okay. usually means that, and it, like it was something that they had been working on for a very long time. I wouldn't say it was exactly twenty years, but yes, like these new monetary reforms that took place on January first of this year, twenty years in the 
making. Like they, they were supposed to do it 20 years ago and they just couldn't figure out how to do it or when the optimal moment was to do it. Obviously, when you're going to unify and devalue a currency, the best time to do it is when your economy is booming and doing well. So you don't have inflation and you have, you know, other jobs that can absorb all the unemployed. But they basically were with their backs against the wall, right? Because you've got Venezuela that's a mess right now. And Venezuela was sort of one of the big sources of income for Cuba, right? Cuba sends doctors to Venezuela. In exchange, Venezuela gives Cuba crude oil, which Cuba then refines and sells all over the world. And that's how they get foreign currency. And it's a lot of money. It's a big part of their economy. And of course, that's gone down. And so Cuba doesn't have money to buy stuff anymore. And when you combine that with the effects of the coronavirus and no travel, you know, no Americans coming in buying chant t-shirts, your economy just plummets, right? So <laughs> the they're in a bad t-shirt graphs are down, way down. They're down. <laughs> and so <laughs> and uh, yeah. And so, you know, you you run into some big problems. And and they were they basically had their backs up against the wall. They're like, we have to reform this 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 currency now. And and they also knew that there was this party congress coming up in April. And if they hadn't gotten this done with, as they'd said, they'd look pretty silly. So they just they they had to do it. Okay. Um, but it was Let's- 20 years in the making. Okay, so let's start here. Uh, I, I, there's reforms we want to get to, but you've been talking about this a couple of times, so I wanted to just like get it clear that Cuba has, from what I can tell, kind of relied on historically since the split from since 1959, right when when Castro took over, relied on foreign aid, foreign benefactors, or foreign yeah. maybe not aid, but benefactors is is that the right word? And it was the USSR yeah. for a long time because strategically. They're so close to the United States. If you're an enemy of the United States, that's a great place to be a partner with. And well, then it moved on to Venezuela. Was China involved at all? Or what's kind of the history of that and how, how it works? China's kind of the smartest of the bunch, I would say, uh, because China's like, we're not the Red Cross. You know, if we're going to invest in your country, we expect returns. And China sure. didn't get returns. Yeah, and they're they, communists. This no, they're not. I love them. God bless them for it. They're so <laughs> capitalist. It's amazing. Uh, my friends in China, like light years ahead of anyone else. <laughs> and just in terms of like money making schemes and just like hustling, they just really know how to do it. I, I miss those days of like riding around Beijing on my simple little you know bicycle and like a lady in a like a bubblegum pink Lamborghini pulling up next to me at the stoplight I just go god bless enjoy that car you know it's just it's a beautiful thing um but yeah they were a little bit different so Venezuela and the Soviet Union was obviously it was a lot more idealistically driven right these were different times and it was just kind of like we're allies and we're going to sort support Cuba. And Fidel talked a big game. And he also was quite generous, right? Like Cuba sent, you know, has always has always sent doctors, they've sent them all over Africa. Um, they they participated in wars, they fought the war in Mozambique, like, there's actually this is a totally bizarre tangent. But as a thank you for the war in Mozambique, um, they so Mozambique sent Cuba a bunch of exotic animals, so like zebras and camels and Tiger and King in the next uh... essentially, yeah. And and they're still around. So I went to this place and like saw it. it you look like you're it's you look like you're in the Sahara and you have like you know a rhinoceros and you have all these antelope. Oh my god, there are antelope everywhere. We actually had them for dinner, and these were all gifts. <laughs> These were all gifts from African leaders as thank yous for fighting the war. So Cuba has these wow. like, you know, bizarre trades for things, but they, they've done a lot of humanitarian things. They've done a lot of good. Um, but yeah, the relationship with, with Venezuela was, you know, doctors for oil. That, so that's once, oversimplified. And then the price of oil collapsed. Well, wait, I mean, once, so once, on top of it, yeah, just timeline wise, once the USSR 
went away in 1990, whatever. The early 90s. Yeah. Then Cuba had to find a new kind of benefactor. benefactor. Venezuela didn't come up across till later. So there was a gap. It was late. So there's a gap and they actually call it the special period. Um, It's a euphemism. It was basically the worst economic recession that Cuba ever had. And that was in the early 90s. Um, and, And that was basically, yeah, right after the fall of the Soviet Union, where suddenly, you know, all of these subsidies dry up overnight and all sorts of crazy things happen. Right. So um, you know, for example, things like pesticide can, you know, Cuba can no longer afford them because they're so destitute. And that's where Cuban agriculture really takes a hit, right? Because you can't produce as much when you don't have pesticide, but there's crazy. And, and that still has yet to be recovered. Like Cuba largely doesn't produce, still doesn't produce much of its own food and, um, and doesn't really use much pesticide. And you can see that play out in fascinating ways. So like I've spoken to marine biologists who have done research in Cuba to look at like coral dating. So a lot of a lot of what causes like coral bleaching is the the runoff from pesticides, right? They can date back to like the to basically they can look at coral from like the revolution up until now and show you like exactly when the use of pesticide declined because that's when coral reefs in Cuba became healthier, which make it a great place to go scuba diving, uh, but a really bad place to farm because it's not a bad place to farm, but you can't do much because they're, well, it's not pesticides that are the problem. It's also the machinery, right? So tractors, like in Cuba, it's still, you know, a cow attached to a cow is your plow. Really big cows. Yeah, well, no, they're really skinny now. Those days are over. It's, yeah, they're skinny and they're scarce. Um, They're they're skinny and they're scarce (laughs) for a lot of reasons. A lot of funny reasons, actually. There's this crazy weed that grows in Cuba. There's also the reason that, not that kind of weed. Uh, There's this crazy weed. It's called marabu. It's like, it's got the thickness and the intense, the thickness of like oak or teak. And um, marabu has these really tasty flowers that cows love to eat. So, and apparently like once the cow swallows it, the seed sort of becomes stronger in their intestines so that when they poop it out, the marabu grows back even more. But because marabu is like the density of oak or teak and Cuba doesn't have machines to clear it, like a lot of their arable land is covered in this weed that is propagated by the shitting cows. And it's just, it gets really complicated. <laughs> a cycle. It is. It's a very vicious cycle. So cycle the cows, you know, they've, they've fallen in favor a little bit because they're, they're causing trouble. But, uh, so then um, Venezuela comes in in, I guess, maybe the early 2000s. Is that right? Or, yeah. Know, take over. We don't have to get the dates exactly yeah. correct. Yeah. Let me say it. I'm you don't glad. have to say it. Cool. And you cannot agree or disagree. Um, and then they come in and they're kind of now you said the oil thing and then they're, they're trading docs and doctors. But it's I guess what I'm trying to get to is the economy collapsed because of COVID. I don't know if that's the exact reason why, but either way, last year it went down 11%, I read, which is squeezing everything. What's the move now? And does is opening the economy, could that be something that Diaz-Canel is interested in to save the people, you know? Good heavens. Yeah, I really hope so. So yeah. the COVID obviously exacerbated things, right? But the economy was in really bad shape before that. A big part of that was Venezuela. The U.S. didn't help with extra sanctions. Like towards the end of the Trump administration, we were just throwing more and more sanctions. They were sanctioning things like the boats that transport oil between Cuba and Venezuela. So it's like, okay, you can get your Venezuelan oil, like you can have Venezuelan oil, but how are you going to get it shipped, right? So there was just, they were being really crafty. Like how can we really hit hard? Because Venezuela's leadership 
was on the rock. So it's like, you got to strike when the iron's hot, I think is what the administration was thinking. Like if they're weak, these guys are going to be weak, two birds with one stone kind of thing. Obviously it didn't work, but it put Cuba in a very difficult situation that Diaz-Canal was calling a coyuntura, um, kind of like an intersection of, of a series of very unfortunate events. Um, and, and that obviously didn't get things started on the right foot. Um, and there were, tra- you know, there were increased sanctions against American tourists, which again, those chest shirts, right? Like it, it, they made it even harder. For a while, you'd see a lot of Americans, like the, the jet flu flights from LaGuardia were full of American tourists who were like, ah, we're going to Cuba, you know, that ended, um, didn't end entirely, but obviously those numbers decreased considerably. And then when they stopped allowing cruises, like, you know, the 300 people that would descend on Havana for a couple of hours and spend a bunch of money, that was also, you know, felt. And this is um, Trump. Era Trump administration. Yeah, this is this yeah. is Trump administration stuff. Um, but then you know, there's a lot of people like to say that there are two blockades, right? There's the the embargo that the U.S. has on Cuba, um, which isn't a full on embargo, right? Like the U.S. sells Cuba a lot of food. Um, the the export, like I, I keep an eye on the export numbers. Like we do sell them food, and we you know we we do it in a unique way. So like. Um, a lot of countries sell Cuba food, but Cuba, they extend Cuba really generous credit lines, which is where Cuba gets in trouble. So China will say, okay, here's a bunch of rice or a bunch of soy or a bunch of corn, pay us in two years, pay us in three years. And then when Cuba doesn't actually pay them back, China understandably gets aggravated and stops selling them stuff. So they like bounce around for creditors. They'd be like a really- Let's keep they're... using different countries and so you're like different credit cards and so you're- Yes, like, but the US doesn't next. mess around. They're like, you want American chicken? You pay upon receipt. But what so, do we do to enforce No it? 90 like days. No, no, we don't. No, we just we we don't break sell legs. it. Yeah, no, we, we don't. We don't sell it unless it's paid. And I, oh, my understanding is that American farmers are actually quite happy to sell to Cuba because they know they're going to get paid as soon as they deliver right. a product. Anyway, that's a bit of a tangent. Um, so yeah, there, so there's this external embargo, and then there's an internal one that Cuba imposes on itself, right? By not enacting these reforms that are very, very, very. Oh, are you guys taking notes? This is totally weird. I see both of you reaching for something. I'm like, whoa! There's I'm remembering what questions to ask later on. <laughs> oh, sorry. We'll we we got serious since the last time we, we had you on. Really did. What is going on? You're asking me yeah. precise dates. No more like, notes. Just we can't just talk about the cows. Um, <laughs> But uh, what was I saying? So, yeah, so then there's this internal embargo, which is essentially this inertia that I was talking about. These guys in the sandbox just not getting on the same page and wanting to move things forward. And that is probably the thing that that is most debilitating to the economy. And it's also this idea that, you know, if you let people get wealthy, things will get out of control and the cause and like the essence of your revolution will be destroyed. Um, One economist once said to me, you know, Cuba to me is the only country in the world that fights wealth instead of poverty. And it's true. Like there's this Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, people get, get too wealthy. It's, you know, and there isn't, People, there are people in Cuba who are poor, but they're they're not destitute. There's a big difference there. And that's changed a little bit under the pandemic. I'm told, you know, you see more people on the street. But before that, you didn't see that. Like, there were more homeless people in Penn Station than in all of Havana, 100%. You know, it was, it, socialism did cover a few basic needs in, in a certain way that I think, you know, the government was very interested in preserving. They didn't, they don't want huge inequalities. They don't want to be China. And, and you have to understand that and respect that, right? It's, it's a way of thinking. And there is a value in, you know, 
people, everybody sort of being taken care of and whatever. But this is just, it's an extreme. It's, it's like an embargo on being able to grow a business and employ, you know, 10 people or 15 people. We're not talking huge corporations. We're talking just modest growth of, of you know, a, a proprietor just trying to run a business. And that is constantly, consistently been hampered. And they've done things. And to answer your very serious question, I mean, it will be Diaz-Canel's job to push these reforms forward. And it's a process that Raul Castro actually started. So Raul Castro must be credited with opening up Cuba to cuenta propismo, which means basically to be self-employed, entrepreneurship. So thanks to him and thanks to the reforms that he pushed, there are about uh, 600,000 roughly um, people who are self-employed, who run their own businesses. And that can be anything from like, you know, a hair salon to uh, somebody who repairs mirrors. Like they're really weird things, right? But this used to be organized in the most how to put it. Um, it? It was it was very res- it was very restrained what you could do. So like if you owned a, a beauty salon, there was a point at which you needed a license to you know a different license to cut hair than to paint nails, and then another license to like you know install hair extensions. Like it was just so, and of course nobody abided by that. But it was just like okay, we're opening up you know Cuba to private activity, but we need to control it. We need to make sure it doesn't get out of hand. And so restrictive is the word I was looking for. It was very, very restrictive. And for a long time, there was only like a certain number. It was 220 something categories in which you could exercise your activity. So if your job, if this little business that you wanted to start wasn't in one of those categories, you were kind of either screwed or forced to operate in like a legal gray area, right? So like, I know people who are tour guides and they, you know, when tourists come in, they'll give them tours either on a bicycle or something else. There's no license for that. That's not a legally approved profession in Cuba. So they'll get a license, something like wedding planner or organizer of events and kind of just make it work. Right. So for a very long time that has happened. And I know this makes a lot of people nervous because they're like, you know, any day, my main source of income could just disappear. Like imagine if you're paid, you know, your $351 or like wiped all of a sudden. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's a very what would un- Kaplan do for a living? Uh, would, exactly, yeah, it's yeah. a very uns- Does it have Patreon pages. <laughs> Can a Cuban nails person get a no? <laughs> no, but they're really getting really into crypto they, now. What about is- lemonade stands? Can what about podcasts? Pod- well, there are podcasts, but I mean, so well, the good news is the podcast was definitely not one of those original two hundred categories. <laughs> Unbelievable! <laughs> Unbelievable! Um, the essential workers we've learned. Is it- <laughs> In California, we're California, essential. we're essential. Yeah. Are you, oh my God, are you serious? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Long live uh, Governor, whatever his Go- name Gavin is. Gavin Newsom. Yeah. <laughs> essential. No wow. Mind blowing. Um, yeah. So definitely not at the time, but the good news is um, they've now rolled out. They haven't approved it. It's well, they've sort of approved it. They're still. They like to use the word in the party perfeccionar, perfeccionamiento, which basically just means to perfect, and it's basically their excuse to like continue to roll with this inertia and not make any big decisions, but they're perfecting a new version of this agreement with the private sector that basically is a list of forbidden categories ah, and then everything else is on the table. That's so this better. is like, yeah, this is, this is much better. And they announced it. And then when they published the list, people were like, what? I still can't be an architect. I still can't oh. be a journalist. 
I still can't be a lawyer. Like it was lawyer. Nobody needs. We don't need architects. Well, you do. You do. Kevin's taking the side of the, the authoritarian government. Lawyers. A world of the lawyers. It sounds like terrorists. I don't, I don't know. If, I don't know if lawyers is. I think it's on there. But basically, there was this the revolution. Hope, there was this hope that, like, you know, there'd be a lot more opening up in the category of professional services, and that you know these people would be able to start their own businesses because there are Havana. Havana is a beautiful city, but it's falling to pieces. And yeah. a lot of people actually, it, it does. And a lot of people actually die yearly because, you know, buildings collapse. It, it is a serious oh. problem. So it'd be very logical to allow, you know, the private sector to inject some of their creativity and their energy into restoring those buildings. But for now, and, and another interesting thing that Diaz Canal has been receptive to that we know the party hasn't been previously is like, dissent and complaint, right? So if mm. architects get together and say, if they start, you know, there's there's a movement. I don't know if you guys saw it, the rappers with, you know, the shirtless, they, the shirtless rappers, um, you know, with, with the dreads and the Patre Vida written on there. So there's this growing movement in Cuba that doesn't encompass, you know, the entire private sector, but you have artists and architects and intellectuals who are, who are participating in this movement. And interestingly, there has been a response from the government. So what I'm starting to see is that, you know, if the government issues something and a certain group doesn't agree, they will push back on it. They'll complain. And the government sometimes actually backtracks and says, you know what, maybe we've taken things a step too far. We're going to modify our policy, which is pretty. Uh, I can't like that from being. No, Fidel, Fidel didn't really roll that way. No, no he didn't really roll that way. way. Um, so it's an interesting sign that, you know, times are changing a little bit. That old guard is getting pretty old or, you know, just this whole shtick of we must keep people poor. We must repress them economically is not sustainable. You know, the, you, the Soviet Union isn't backing us. Venezuela can't fund us. We have to sort of figure this out for ourselves. Maybe we actually do need to let our incredibly talented people like get to work and, and, you know, do this for us. Maybe we are really bad at managing our economy. Um, but we've, you know, we have an incredibly talented entrepreneurial population. Jeff Bezos is Cuban. I mean, if he could do what he did, like, you know, imagine what Cuba will look like. He is? The comics, we thought about having him on the pod, but he's a real dummy with Cuba. So. <laughs> I have uh, more questions about this movement, but just before we get to that, Kaplan, a word from your local sponsor. All right, we're back. Thanks. We're back. <laughs> Thank you, sponsors. That was so fast. So it's very to- anti-communist that we have sponsors. Sorry to our Cuban listeners, but yeah, yeah apologies. Advertising is not allowed in Cuba. Of any kind. Wait, you can't. So why have a podcast there, there no if you can't have sponsors? So, so in the weeks where we don't have Magic Spoon or any other con- sponsors, we're, just going, we're going the Cuban. There, there are like the the what? Say it again, Cap. I said on the weeks when we don't have sponsors, we're just we're just saying we're chalking it up to our communist beliefs. So there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, there isn't there isn't advertising. The billboards there are all about the triumphs of the revolution. Oh Ooh, well wow. maybe they will pay for advertising. <laughs> Do they update the billboards ever? Or are they always yeah, are they always the same billboards or at least like change them? The revolution? Uh well, it depends. So there are some that have been around for a really long time. Uh, it was something interesting to note about this change of power that just happened. So this was the eighth national con- the eighth Congress at which you know Canel became first secretary of the Communist Party. That took place from April 16th to 19th, and that those dates are not haphazard. Those jive with the Bay of Pigs invasion in 1961. Oh, and old school. The, Shout out. the Bay of Pigs invasion was obviously a huge triumph for Cuba, right? It 
was like, we defeated the Yankees. You know, or not necessarily the Yankees. It was lots of Cuban Americans. But the an Kennedys. interesting tidbit about that. The Kennedys, hey, the, and the, Kennedys. the Kennedys and the Cubans. You know. The Kennedys and the Cubans. The Cuban Americans, right, who wanted to go back and reclaim Cuba. An interesting tidbit about that. So there's this story in Smithsonian Magazine written by my friend Tony Perrote, who actually has a much better sense of humor and knows a lot about Cuba. So maybe you should talk to him. But he wrote this piece about how the guys who fought the Bay of Pigs invasion were recruited. And apparently... They would, they would convene at a white castle in Miami, and then they would be screened and taken on a boat to Yusepa Island in Florida, and they would hang out in these cottages attached to a mansion um, that was built by an eccentric Floridian millionaire, and they trained, like the, the CIA prepared them to train for the Bay of Pigs invasion there. And the reason I bring it up is because we were talking about billboards. Bay of Pigs has great scuba diving. I, I like going to the Bay of Pigs to scuba dive. And on the way there from Havana, you just see billboard after billboard saying like, hasta aquí llegaron los mercenarios, right? Like the mercenaries got up to this point. Like you just have markers. <laughs> like it's markers of i can yeah. probably give you some images of them of how far they went so those have certainly not been updated um well, castles have not come to cuba yet I they have not wow <laughs> so the san uh, i think you were just talking about a second ago is it the san isidro movement is that That's what it's it. called movimiento san isidro yes and that, that is uh i read about that in the economist magazine actually mm. not too magazine. long ago <laughs> and um Are, they're a competitor of ours but a great magazine <laughs> competitor <laughs> Well, they call themselves the Lost in America of magazines. That's what I they do. <laughs> as far as I heard, last I heard. Yeah. So this is a movement, from what I could tell, of um, artists in Cuba trying to get more freedom to create art that they would want to create. Maybe even some of that uh, critical of the government. Am I correct there? It, well, yes. So it was a movement that was started by artists and it's been around for like almost three years. This isn't kind of something that appeared out of nowhere, but it's kind of come to a head. It came to a head on the 27th of November. So they're starting to refer to it as if you ever see 27N, it refers to the 27th of November. Um, and that was a that was a pretty heated day. So basically um, you had, it's called the Movimiento San Isidro because it's in the San Isidro uh, neighborhood of Havana. And in late November, there were members of this movement who were on a hunger strike, some of them on a thirst strike, and they were protesting the arrest of a rapper who had been detained for sort of misconduct vis-a-vis -vis the police on sort of strange charges. And, and they were on hunger strike, um, you know, to sort of draw awareness or bring awareness to his case. And um, the 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 authorities disguised as health professionals busted into their headquarters under the pretext of like, oh, you know, somebody has come back in here who has been abroad. We test them for COVID. But obviously it wasn't that they took people away and, and they were detained for a while, not very long. But this the Internet went out at a very, you know, uh, strange moment because they didn't want this news to spread. Like, you know, all of the boogie woogie factors started to sort of pile in. Yep. And the next day you know, this news got out and a lot of people who were involved with this movement and some who weren't, but who were just aware of it, gathered outside of the Ministry of Culture. And um, they waited for hours and hours and hours. And, you know, the, 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 the secret police were there. They had infiltrated. I spoke to a lot of people who were there outside of the ministry and they were like, it was very obvious. Like the machine was activated right away. The headlines and state front papers were calling these people terrorists. Like it was like all hands on deck to sort of suppress this movement, right? Um, and, uh, and they waited for hours and hours and hours and very like late into the evening, the 
I think it was the vice minister of culture actually came, was agreed to meet with some of the leaders of the movement. And that was seen as something very special. This was the first time in a very long time that there was dialogue between the government and, you know, people in a movement that were opposed to what the government was, you know, what the government wants. Um, and it was basically that, right? Like the importance of it was that there was this dialogue. And a lot of the people were saying, you know, it was important to us because we are the types of artists that the government wants to cancel. So the fact, or they want us to disappear, right? The fact that they took the time to talk with us meant a lot. And it doesn't mean that everything has been, you know, rosy ever since, you know, there, the media campaigns have continued and, and, you know, everything is still a little bit touch and go, but that was considered a very important moment. And that's really what got the Movimiento San Isidro sort of into the headlines. And then when you had Gente de Sona and, you know, all of these musicians who you saw in that photo that accompanied the article, when they wrote this song, Patria y Vida, that was like an overnight instant hit, that really added to the momentum behind the movement. And was the, was he arrested, the rapper, because of the lyrics were anti-government? No, this was before that song came out. Uh, okay. Yeah, he was he was arrested because he was just he was very vocal about being against the government, and they just decided that he was someone that they needed to keep quiet. Oh, so it wasn't the lyrics; it was just him in general was against. Yeah, 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 yeah. Vocal against the yeah, government. Yeah, yeah, and I a see, few of them. I, I mean, see. a lot of them have been arrested. They they go in and out of prison, right? Uh, one of them actually sewed his lips shut and, and the images were, yeah. Oh, like wow. Prison as a, yeah, sign of. And when you're canceled in uh, Cuba by the government, it's not like you're not just thrown off Twitter. <laughs> it's like a little more than well, that. Well, it's, it's just, it's, it's a left wing Twitter. It's a left wing cancel mob, but it's a little different. <laughs> it's, I mean, you maybe are told to stay in your house. Like there are journalists and whatnot who these past few days were, told or required to stay in their houses during, you know, this handover of power because it was considered a sensitive time. And I remember like when Diaz-Canel was named president, um, I also knew people who were told, you know, quietly, you either leave Cuba or you stay quiet during this time or you'll be in trouble. Uh, the government is courteous. Yeah. They'll give you a heads up. You know, we'll be like, we but don't want like anything anyways. Because he has I've to gotten a heads up before. Yeah, exactly. It's, it was in 2013 when uh, mm -hmm. their transfer of power is always very sensitive. Shout it's out. a very sensitive that. time. Shout <laughs> out. <to them. laughs> so did you, is it because the new leader has to like show strength at some point? And they well, they don't want distractions, yeah. right? They don't, they don't want people in the media or, you know, influencers creating noise that would somehow detract from that continuity, right? One of the new, the new leaders, uh, new leader. I mean, the first secretary's favorite hashtags is somos continuidad. You know, we are continuity. Yeah. Hashtag, hashtag, we are, continuity. we are continuity. Yeah. Like this is something that he established very early on to sort of reaffirm and make it clear to people. Like I'm not breaking the mold here. We right. plan on continuing sort of what we started. What are what is he hashtagging, hashtagging on? Yeah. Do they have Facebook, uh, Twitter? Oh, yes. Do they have all that stuff? He's really active on Twitter. Oh, yes, he's, yes, he's, yes. He's oh like he is? He's the world's oldest millennial. Oh no, I hear you <laughs> go. <laughs> I, I hear you go. Oh, he is. We're gonna tweet at him. Um, no, no, no. We'll follow. Uh, we'll, uh, I have burner accounts. We're for the follow back. So the follow back. Yeah. Yeah. No, he tweets on everything. I mean, you know, just imagine what would a communist party leader tweet on? It's like he he's been tweeting a lot on vaccine initiatives. Cuba actually rolled out. It's got two COVID vaccines in. Uh, clinical trials right now. So he tweets. Them. Oh yeah. We just read that story as well. Yeah. yeah. He tweets uh, a lot about, 
about, you know, things worth celebrating and he gets retweeted. So, so Twitter's not, so, cause I, I guess I just assumed that social media would be blocked in a place like Cuba, but it's not. No. So that's kind of where Cuba is very different. Cuba is very different for a lot of reasons, but there's actually not a ton of internet censorship in Cuba. But, but not um, everyone has the internet, right? I mean, it's only. Right. So the biggest form of censorship is the cost, which is why I will always say, you know, the biggest form of oppression in Cuba is economic. It's not so much social. Yes, okay, there is all of that, but it's economic. It's the fact that there's a state-run monopoly called the DEXA that charges eye-watering prices for connectivity that it does not need to charge because you know Google is involved in Cuba. There are it, it should not be any more expensive to get online in Cuba than it is in Jamaica, and it is, and that's on purpose. It's by design. It's because um, the Cuban government knows that. Cubans will want to get online naturally. And it's a wonderful form of remittances. You have family members in Miami or wherever they be charge up the internet accounts for Cubans. That money ends up going to a Texa, the state-run account. Like there, there are many forms of remittances in Cuba. You have, you know, people who bring money in in a suitcase and, and they, you know, they, they, a relative says, Hey, deliver this money to my relative, whatever that happens. But cell phone charge-ups and, and internet connectivity, like the cards that you need to get online, that is a huge form of remittances. And that's part of the main reasons, I think, why um, connectivity is so costly, because it's just such a good money maker. I don't see that. It's been, the prices have dropped nominally, but it's still, it's oppressively expensive. So it's more expensive there than than in here, for instance. Is oh my gosh, than yeah. pretty much anywhere else in the world. It's one of the most costly, yeah. One of those, if, if you know, in a week, um, I can easily go through like $30 of, of worth of cards. And that's like by, Whoa. you know, disconnecting when I'm sending an email, you know, you reconnect when you're about to send it. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. And when you think that, you know, up until recently before the currencies were unified, officially the average salary was something like $30 a month. I mean, just think of how oppressive Jeez. it is to have, you know, I, I was we probably surfing more than right here, right? Governor Cuomo just gave us free internet, I think. So Did he? the state of New York. Well, they're yeah, lowering yeah, it, but not if Spectrum has anything to do with it. They'll they'll get in <laughs> there. Um, what about uh, like? Let's see. Where do I want to go here? I had um, sanct- You're so serious today, Turner. I was just wondering. Yeah, just thinking about how young people survive if they don't have internet. It's like amazing to. These in, and the influence, no influencers. What, what kind of world is it? Oh, there are loads. Do you want me to take the? Do you want me to take Kaplan's? Uh, or you want me to take your serious question first? No, go go with Kaplan. <laughs> yeah, Who no, are the influencers. There are. Oh my God, they're totally influencers. So there's there are these kids that I met one day. I was so a lot. One of the best ways to get online is in a park. Right, because the 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 Wi-Fi signal is the strongest. A lot of times, that was if you don't have internet connection in your house, which a lot of people don't, you go and you connect in a park. So one day, like I was responding to emails and checking my email in the park, and I met a bunch of teenagers who have an Instagram account. It's like fifteen of them who hang out on this. Yeah, on this. Well, no, they each have their own accounts, but like them as a group, they have this like bench in the, in the, in the park, which they refer to as their sofa. And they all just go hang out on it. It's yeah, probably like 15, 20 kids and they're on social media, Instagram. So interestingly, because internet's so expensive, Instagram isn't quite as popular because it requires more data. Um, so like WhatsApp is really popular or anything that, or signal and telegram are actually mm. super popular. A lot happens well, on so telegram. The government like, can't read it as easily. Right. If you have, right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So there's a lot happens there. Um, Facebook, not so much because it's really data intensive. 
this actually meant that Twitter really took off in Cuba because the lack of, before it wasn't so image and video heavy, right? So Cubans were more likely to go on Twitter than on Facebook, for example, because it would cost them less. It was, yeah, that, that. And then there, of course, there are homegrown Cuban apps that are specifically made so that they don't, that are made in really impressive ways, right? Because there's a lot of computer science talent there and they they have to work around these limitations of, of cost. So like they'll make super lean apps that do a million things or like live offline on your phone, but are still really useful. And it's super impressive how they managed to do that. Or they're just starting now that con- connectivity is taking off to have things like their equivalent of like Uber Eats, right? There's a service called Mandao that you can, you know, have Chinese delivered to your house. And obviously not everybody can afford this. Capitalist. Yes. Oh, totally. They're just like the Chinese. They're incredibly entrepreneurial and incredibly resourceful. And like every time they get hit with new restrictions, they're like, all right, vamos a resolver. Work around right? it. Yeah. Resolver means to resolve. And like Cubans wow. are world experts at just getting around. So, so with the sanctions and stuff that the US every once in a while drops down, depending upon who our president is, does that, is that seen as, uh, you obviously the US wants people to see that as like, oh, this is happening to us because the Castros are bad, right? That's what yeah. we would hope. And that's right. what Miami Cubans in Miami would hope. How do people actually see it? Do they see it as that or do they see it as like, oh, screw screw the US? They're sanctioning us again. No. Or does it depend I think, on who you ask. I think it depends on who you ask and how much they know, right? Like I think yeah. there are loads of people within Cuba who understand that it's not just the embargo that is responsible for their situation. And that line coming from the party has gotten really tired, right? Yeah, like okay. you, there are only so many things that you can blame on the US. Like there, there are plenty of things domestically internally that they could have done differently that would have avoided them, you know, being in the situation that they're in. So I think most people understand that. And Cubans certainly don't hate America. I mean, I mean, they were thrilled when Obama was coming because obviously that came with the promise of, of an embargo being lifted. But they're also just, you know, they're, they're fascinated by America. A lot of them have relatives there. Like it's not that far. How can you hate a place where like half of your family lives? Like it just doesn't it doesn't work that way. And it's also I remember like when Obama was coming, there were little old ladies who were saying we're were saying. Like, oh, Cuba, but then in Manzanas, we're finally going to have apples because, like, apples don't grow in Cuba and they can't afford to import them. Did Obama bring apples with him? He, he didn't bring apples, oh, but like this was terrible. their way of saying like, oh my God, you know, things are going to be normal again. We're going to oh, have see. apples. Yeah. I remember one time actually I was flying to Cuba and I had an apple in my bag that I forgot to eat on the plane. And, you know, the, they stopped me when I was going through security and they were like, you cannot come into the country with this. So I was like, take it, enjoy it. You know, and it was one of those massive green apples that you buy from like the guys on the street in New York City. And they were just blown away by the size of this apple. Mm, look and at this Yankee this apple. This is a great <laughs> tip. Probably. You know, like my mom, when she goes to the airport and oh, she yeah. has too much luggage her big move is to bring muffins yeah to bribe, <laughs> to bribe her way without paying she the fee. bribes all the, the the like people at the delta check-in counter with muffins. does it work yeah it always works and then ah. they'll let her put like two like 80 pounds of luggage instead bring of 50. apples when you're going to cuba so if you're going to cuba bring apples holy right? cow wow your mom your mom may be Ooh. secretly cuban she might it's be. Green. Look at this green apple. Because if you could sneak them in, you could plant them. What would happen? I don't know. They wouldn't. Grow. I don't know if they, they would grow. take. They yeah, would grow. It's the soil and then those cows and then the, yeah, no, it wouldn't cows, work. Yeah. Nowhere to plant them. So what's their plan to like? 
What do they grow that they can export? If, if you want to liberalize the economy, what's the move besides just letting it, the MGM Grand set up, you know? Yeah. Yeah, casinos, that's how you're liberalized. Well, that's what they had. That, that started yeah. the revolution, really. Batista was, he was in with, like, yeah. Meyer Lansky and Frank Sinatra. My grandparents and... didn't go anywhere. They, like, literally never traveled off the country. They only they used to go to Cuba back in the day. That yeah. was a good place. That was, that was the place Miami. to go. It's their fault. <laughs> they ruined it. <laughs> there were like drag yes. races and casinos and oh, all my grandfather was dr- betting on drag racing and it <laughs> Castro had enough you know enough yeah that was get these Kaplans out of here <laughs> get the Kaplans it wasn't <laughs> Batista they were trying to get rid of it, it was the Kaplans <laughs> a lot of Kaplans coming down there but oh what could they export I mean they obviously do grow things I don't want to make it sound like it's barren it's just that yeah. apples don't take particularly well there's lots cigars. of great fruit yeah I mean cigars are kind yeah, of a, still a thing or is that I over think, now? Is that like- no, it's it's still a thing, but I think the market cap of how many cigars the world can absorb. You can only you smoke know? so many. You People know? are yeah. so anti-smoking. They take in a long time to smoke. And, yeah. yeah. No, I mean. weed now. So if you what about weed, coffee? Do they do any coffee? Yeah, they do. They do coffee, but um, they've been importing it from other places, actually, because their crops just even sugar like sugar was oh, sugar. Yeah. Crop in Cuba. Do you guys know where Hershey used to get its coffee? It's sugar. Are you telling me I'm from Pennsylvania? Are you telling me Hershey was getting his sugar not from America? They got it all from (laughs) Cuba. Back in the day. Oh, I love Hershey was going down there. Kaplan, that's why your grandparents were going to check on their Hershey (laughs) crops. (laughs) Milton Hershey would. uh, There's there's actually a town in Cuba that they now call Hershey because it's where (laughs) yeah yeah it's where all of the sugar mills that Hershey put up were and it was like at the time it was state of the art sugar mills and it was remarkable sugar production and now it's all sort of decayed and rusted but people people remember that time there was actually so Milton Hershey was actually quite generous with the employees based on what I've read I obviously wasn't there firsthand but there was like a train that used to transport the employees to work. And one day that that train crashed and, and a lot of the workers died, leaving a lot of orphans. And Hershey actually like, you know, he was famous for looking after orphans. That whole thing across from Hershey Park in Pennsylvania is like a massive orphanage. He looked after those orphans, yeah. those orphans in Cuba. Like there's actually a, you know, there was a lot that the U.S. did and sugar production was one of Cuba's most valuable exports. And all of that, I mean, the revolution really didn't do very much for exports. Because well, that was just so- like dirty foreigners taking our land and exploiting it, right? Was it I that? mean, but it was also creating employment, wasn't it? Of course, it? But and, I'm saying and, what the other... And when, yeah, yeah. When, when right, people, right, right, right. When people shit on Hershey chocolate, like they do the whole European chocolate thinks better. I hear people... <laughs> Like so culture, do, well, you can say it's because of the revolution. It used to be better the Hershey chocolate. We, we the missing ingredients because of the sugar. sugar. It's, it's not yeah. your fault. You got to grow. So Biden should work out a deal, a sugar deal to get it to Hershey, create help with the Hershey product. Sugar Biden. I mean, maybe we sugar can resurrect. We, we can resurrect those mills. Yes, now but, we're thinking here. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, sugar. If they if they could get back, uh, if they could if they could you know increase production, but. From what I remember, Cuba was actually buying sugar from France to pay back China. Like they had commitments to export sugar to China. They I couldn't fall So they had to buy. It was just nuts. And like, I have a friend who's a, who's a baker. She has like a pastry business and she's like, oh, the French sugar is so much better. This is actually great. You know, really? rather than the, the European stuff is better than <laughs> el azúcar, el azúcar prieto is, it's darker sugar in Cuba. And she, you know, she was, she was pleased that they were getting French stuff instead, but it's just, this is like, a, you know, this is just one example of many, like, 
Like they just can't get it together. The last time I was in Cuba, I usually, when I get there, you know, like I'll pop into a market and just like stock up on things like drinking water and whatever. And I couldn't find bottled water anywhere. Like I went to five different stores and like pouring rain. I'm like, what is going on? There was a shortage of plastic bottles. And so there was no drinking water on the shelves. And the only thing I could find was San Pellegrino in glass bottles. And there were like mountains of it. It was like a sofa worth of, of San Pellegrino. They're like, yeah, we have water. I'm like, sparkling San Pellegrino? Like, what on earth? This is what happens. Brushing your teeth with San Pellegrino? The, essentially, <laughs> yes. Like, I drank more San Pellegrino that week than, than I ever have in my life. So um, what do they think does is what's Biden? What's the idea with Biden? I know that like uh uh Canel, Diaz Canel, uh Bermuda or whatever his Bermuda, yeah. Bermuda, yeah. <laughs> is a uh is a was like fine with or at least the quotes are like receptive to the idea of Biden coming in. Well, sure. I mean, he's gonna prefer Biden over Trump, obviously. I mean, that's not a very hard decision for him to make because yeah. Trump's sort of default was to be quite antagonistic towards Cuba. Right. Whereas was like, I care about Florida voters. And yeah. <laughs> essentially, I mean, I think Trump was very guided by like Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio and they've got, you know, uh, I don't think Trump felt very strongly either way. It was just like, ah, keep Marco happy. I think he actually said that at one point. Yeah. And Marco Rubio obviously has very strong opinions on how, you know, the U S should behave vis-a-vis Cuba. And I think he just let a lot of that guided. And, you know, we were hitting Cuba with, with way, way more sanctions. The new administration so far has really done nothing. Um, and a, there's, there's a lot of ink being spilled, like, what are they going to do something? What are they going to do? There's an opportunity here, but I just don't think it's that high up on the list of priorities. I mean, yeah. it would be nice if that changes, but like there aren't even people in positions to make decisions with regards to Cuba yet. Like the response has been very slow and very lackluster. So like, you know, they've got to wake up. He's old. He's got, you know, he he can't move that fast. I mean, he cannot. No, he can't. We, you know, for all the the wonders of our democracy, um, we we don't necessarily choose the best candidate, but we don't have too much to brag about over here, I don't think. Um, But uh, yeah, unfortunately, not all that much. I'm I'm rooting for Cuba to get its act together domestically. I also don't think it's the job of the U.S. I mean, obviously, we can make their life easier, and it wouldn't be that hard to reverse, for example, the travel sanctions. Like that's really not hard to do. It's a little bit, you know, mind boggling as to maybe why we haven't done it yet. And there are a lot of reasons, political reasons, right? It's always sensitive. Cuba's a hot potato, but ultimately it's not, you know, I, I suppose we have bigger fish to fry, right? And that's where the emphasis is going. But Cuba could do a lot for itself, right? They can they can open up the private sector in earnest. And that would do a lot because as a result of these, this currency unification that took place at the beginning of January, um, there's been a lot of inflation and what they're trying to do, the whole reason that this currency unification what, happened. What did happen in January? I think I missed Yeah. That. So I'll, I'll try to give a, yeah, I'll give a, a quick summary of that. So before January 1st, there were two currencies in Cuba, which is if Cuba sounded like a pretty straightforward place as we've been talking, I don't think so. Um, the currency just didn't make it any easier and contributed a lot to its economic difficulties. So it had two currencies, the Seuse and the Cuban peso. Cuban peso is kind of the, the domestic currency. And the Seuse was brought in, I believe, in the 90s um, as a replacement for the dollar because Fidel didn't want, you know, oh, dollars, yeah. Right. And um, there were fictitious 
exchange rates of both of these currencies. So if I, as a tourist, wanted to say they were pegged to the dollar. So one dollar, one say say, right? But a Cuban mm. peso was worth 25, so 25 cents to the say say for people. But for businesses, a say say and a peso were one-to-one, which meant that you had these wildly yeah. distorted exchange rates that essentially subsidized state-owned enterprises, right? Because their balance sheets were completely off because they were using an exchange rate that the rest of the country wasn't using. And so it covered up yeah. a lot of their sins, right? A lot of their a lot of their red was sort of covered up by the fact that they were operating with this completely fictitious um, exchange rate, which meant that a lot of very unprofitable state-owned enterprises were being subsidized by the government, taking away resources from other things that Cuba needs to buy, like sugar and everything else, um, and creating huge distortions in the economy. So as of January 1st, after basically 20 years of deliberation, the Cuban Central Bank has been working on this for a very, very long time. They decided to pull the trigger and devalue the Cuban peso and unify the currency. So the Seuse has disappeared, which is funny because the Seuse used to be pegged to the dollar. So it was the currency everybody wanted, right? You were a tourist. They expected you to pay in Seuse. It was like the right. premium currency, right? Now it's disappeared. So the Seuse that I have are worthless. Can um, exchange them for... Can you exchange no, them or what happened? I mean, they gone? were they were doing what? no. Well, you can't. Cubans can, and, and if you had savings in Seuse over the next six months, I think they'll be automatically converted into pesos. But like, if they I just went on you. the street and tried to pay a taxi driver in Seuse, they'd probably say no. They'd be like, "Give me dollars, give me dollars." Um, dollars right, they but- take dollars, and and dollars now have become like the preferred currency because nobody really trusts the value of the Cuban peso now, right? Because right? there there's there's been so much inflation, and they've printed so much. Many of them that it's just kind of like people, the dollar, the dollar used to be pegged to the same as I said, now the Cuban peso is trading at like 140. So there's been a lot of inflation and, and the dollar is sort of seen as the stable um, the stable currency and the same is just out, right? That's so like what we talked about when we talked to e- about Ecuador two weeks ago, it's like you want these countries to almost be on the dollar because otherwise they're just going to create inflation, print money. And- well, you do. No, but I mean, for their, their people because doesn't. they just print money. It's like a false... It doesn't solve any problems. To yeah, but do, do, really do we not do we not print money as well? Like, well, we do, but we, <laughs> we can pull it off. That's the problem. We can pull it off because can't. you screw everybody else over. <laughs> well, no, because yeah. if you don't have a strong backing, like if you don't have a strong economy, you can't just. You just creating inflation is not good I, for anybody. I'm I'm all for cryptocurrency. Let's decentralize. <laughs> get rid of the dollar. Yeah. Get rid. Of- get Tron, everybody. I mean, yeah. TRX. I mean, yeah. No. But anyway, no, it's a total aside. So yeah, Cuba was still sort of reeling from from this change that happened in January, and they expect there to be a like. Obviously, when all of this comes to light on the balance sheets of state-owned enterprises, they're going to have to close and lay off a lot of people. So the idea is that the private sector, this budding sector of people who can now do all of these activities as long as they're not prohibited. Um, interesting, a lot enough. One of the activities that is prohibited is funeral services, which I thought so like you can't be a um, what are they called. Um, you can't open a funeral parlor in Cuba. You can't. Oh, why? <laughs> this is state. This is state run. So, like, oh, you right. must you must die with communism. Like, you must die in a coffin. That I mean, I kind of like, get that. Making that money off the dead is always odd to me. It's always a bit touching up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but Who I just decides, thought it was, is it who's just making these decisions on what on um, what uh, is the government puts together the, the government. Yeah. Much yeah. I was just, I was going through it, looking forward, like looking through the quirky ones. And I was like, oh, you can't be, you know, you can't run your own funeral party. You you that is to, crazy. It is. It is. Stand up comedy that is allowed. But you know, and the thing is, well, this is, this is a bit of a macabre note, but um, 
they, I know that there are sometimes shortages of, of coffins, right? Which means that like bodies are kind of just hanging out. Uh, so it would actually be a good idea to privatize them for like the dignity of the dead. Yeah. But uh, I mean, they haven't been. I was a bit disappointed. It's that, very novel that they're holding on. Like the same way it's ridiculous that we're holding on to this animosity to Cuba now that the Soviet Union's not absurd. there. It's ridiculous yeah. that they're still holding on to these communist ideals now that there's no... Like there's no revel, there's no the world. They have no backers around the rest of the world. So it's like the idea you can't privatize a funeral service out of some sort of right. That's kind of. And I'm not sure this is something that lots of people are dreaming of doing. No, but but for the sake of right, it's practical. Like why have the state deal with that headache of having to manage funerals? You know, like it it just yeah, it's not sensible. Are they experts in this? I don't think so. So you know, why not allow somebody who is to do that? But yeah, what about dog funerals? Are those are no. No, but dog grooming, that's, that's been privatized um, oh, and that. it's quite popular. So yeah, you can, you can get, you know, the mani patties for the pups. The priorities spas, are there. All that stuff. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. Uh, what, change the topic, but what about term limits? Is, so, yeah, is, so there can, are. Can he stay forever or no? No. No, okay. no, that was actually something that Raul ended as well. Uh, he made a point of of, of imp- implementing term limits because he also thought it was a bit extreme to have somebody else in for forever. Is that for the president um, or for the leader of the party? Or for, for the both? president, it's ten years. Um, so he's got a, he's got a couple more to go, seven more to go. Um, and for the head of the, the first secretary of the party, that's actually a good question. I would imagine. There is one, but I don't know if it's the same amount of time. Yeah. And why and don't... Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. So why say... don't we... Why haven't we heard... Why has none of this been a bigger story in the United States? Or, or have, are we just the idiots, which we are, but have we missed something that everyone else has been talking about? Or what's going on? No, I think... Well, I mean, if you look at the news landscape in the US, we're not sort of the most astute in picking out important stories. That's why right? we do this show. Yeah. Um, there's that. And also, in some ways, it's a bit of a non-story. Like, not that much has changed. Well, well, I mean... <laughs> Good thing you said that at the end of this episode. Yes. So people have already listened to an hour and uh, seven minutes. You can, you can edit it out if you need to. Ah, but, it's, <laughs> but it's it's not all that much is changing, right? Like, of course, I think it's a story. And when you, when you put, bring in all this context and nuance, like we've done, um, I I think it's quite interesting. And it gives you a picture of this animosity and, and, and why there are two embargoes and all of these things that, you know, people should know, but uh, I guess our news is kind of just dominated by headlines. Right. And it's like, the headline that I've been seeing is like, you know, for the first time in 60 years, there's no longer a cash room power. Okay, well, what does that mean? Like, he's not dead. So right, he's still, we don't fill in the blanks. And so basically, um, he's the, the Castros are still in power until, until he the last dies. one dies. Yeah, officially, he stepped down and he's going to retire to Santiago and he's built a nice house there. And hopefully, you know, he will learn to understand that retirement is not a punishment. It is a pleasure. It's yeah. actually a line that somebody learned to golf. He should fly. He retired to Florida. No, it's great. Oh, God. <laughs> retired uh, to Florida. It's a great place to go when you retire. He moves into Del Boca Vista, retirement. <laughs> oh, God. Well, they don't well, have that, to run for board of the, yeah. you know, the, the building and that'll be an issue. City that's, Council, uh, like you, will give you competition. I'll have to learn democracy yeah i don't want my people getting free internet by the way i see the problems today what um, what about the castro uh are there any kids in the pipeline oh yeah there are there are kids um i guess raul's most high profile kid is mariela castro um she's head of cinesex which is uh 
Oh gosh, what does it stand for? LGBTQ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's well, not, not just that, but like it's a it's a yes. sort of yeah, the, the part of the government that looks after sexual education and awareness oh, okay. and health related stuff. But yeah, um she she's probably the most high profile. Um, and then you have a uh, a former brother, uh, son-in-law of Raul's, who, Luis Alberto, who is actually head of the Cuban military. Um, so he's got, you know, and, and the military in Cuba is very, very powerful. They're probably the only prop. So remember how we talked about all these unprofitable state-owned enterprises? The military is the opposite of that. The military controls a lot of the sort of the biggest tourism properties, so the, the big money generators. And the military in Cuba is, is profitable and keeps things afloat. If you actually talk to um, Chinese investors in Cuba, they almost always express a preference for you know, selling to the military rather than the government because the military actually pays. And that's a whole other story and something that, you know, is worth looking into sort of in a, in a different light because it's it's a completely different part that gets overlooked. I've actually been surprised to see that not much of the coverage that we've been seeing about this transition talked about just how influential the FARC is in Cuba and how, you know, Castro's former son-in-law is at the head of it. But that's another big piece of the pie to sort of to consider. So he might be way, he might have some power as well. Well, he's the whole thing. probably one of the most powerful men in Cuba, just Got in it. terms of, of, of financially what he's in charge well, of. 10 years maybe. from now or seven years from now, maybe well, he's the next, uh, Fidel have any kids or Che, any illegitimate yeah, kids? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. No, for the mountains they, and take over. They've, they've, they've got them all. Fidelito. There's yeah, they're all, there was a really cute skit. Um, on TV, like in the sixties of Fidel with Fidelito, his son, he was like putting him to bed with like a stuffed animal in his pajamas. And it was like, Oh, this other side of Fidel. Uh, he, yeah, <laughs> Family he's, man. Got, he's got kids. One of them I think is just like, a, um, I feel like he fixes or was it Che as a legitimate kid? I don't know. I confuse them. I don't keep track of all of them, but yeah, they're, they're knocking around. Yeah. He had plenty of kids uh, with, with more than one woman and I'm sure a few illegitimate ones. And um, yeah, no, he's that, that the, the Fidel, uh, I don't know. That seed is, is still the Castro seed is still. Right, that's strong. what I'm getting at. Cause I'm wondering once Raul passes away, if there's, that's when, Maybe some changes start happening, but maybe not. So who knows? I, guess I mean, there were rumors before Canel took became president that like Mariela Castro, his daughter, might be appointed. That didn't happen. And it didn't really seem clear that that was something that she wanted anyway. Close and ceiling. it was, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, yeah, I guess in the, in the tropics, maybe a little different. It's like a coconut ceiling or something. But um <laughs> But yeah, no, it's, I think a lot of them also, like Diaz Canel also has kids um, and, and they've been in the spotlight here and there. One of them is like a musician, I think. And, you know, they try to be normal kids and, and they get caught at like flashy parties and they get in trouble because it's like, you know, shame you on you're supposed to be, you know. See, sometimes we do have, we are similar. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Totally, totally, totally. I mean, you know, they get snapped. Hanged Joe out Biden with- could bond with him about the children. <laughs> with Hunter Biden and the kids. I, did, I, I think, I think we, that should be a show. We put all these kids in a house and they live together. Oh, reality, reality show. show. Yeah, the fuck think, ups or whatever. I think these kids I mean, pale in comparison to Hunter Biden. <laughs> <laughs> they really do. They're angels compared to yeah. Hunter Biden. All right. I think that's it. Uh, yeah, we're out of time. This has been great. We've you got- set the bar very high for if we ever do get a dopey Cuban comedian in here to. I mean, I hope you do. They're out there. They're fantastic. Cubans have the best sense of humor I know. I mean, we hope just, we do too. 
There's an expression that you guys should know. It's dar chucho, which means basically just to tease somebody, like to wind them up, as the Brits would say. Uh-huh. And Cubans love to do it. Just dar chucho, dar chucho, dar chucho. They just, they just mess with you. They mess, they just, that's how they do it. It's how, you know, they overcome all of this nonsense. It's how you survive more than 60 years of communism. Humor. That's it. That's the episode. Kaplan, thank you, Roseanne. Uh, fantastic, everybody. Check out Roseanne Lake at The Economist uh, magazine and wherever else she writes and her, and the book. Let's, let's just say the name of the book. Why not? I know I asked you earlier. Say we don't have to. But you have a great book on China on leftover women. It's called, I'm forgetting the name. Is it, you say it. Leftover in China, the women shaping the world's next superpower. There we go. Check it out. Kaplan, what should we do? We just get smart, so it's time we get lost. Get lost, everybody. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.